You're listening to Randstad Sourcerite's Talent Navigator podcast. Join us to hear about the latest research, talent trends and success stories from human capital leaders who are driving their organisations forward with smart workforce planning strategies. Hi everyone, welcome to our Talent Navigator series. I'm Angelique from Randstad Sourcerite. Today, we will understand how to get ahead of the growing talent migration and provide the right value that makes your organisation a talent magnet. To discuss this topic, let me introduce Russell Beck, Director of Inspiration at Imagine Singju, and David Vincent, Managing Director EMEA at Ramsat Sourcerite. Russell, I'll let you present yourself in a few words. Hi, my name is Russell Beck, and I'm a People Strategy Consultant working at the consultancy Imagine Think Do. We help inspire, challenge, and enable leaders to unlock the value and the potential of their people. Thanks, Russell. Um, I'm David Vincent. I am Managing Director for Randstad Sourcebrite for the EMEA region. So uh, very nice to see you all this morning. So, so Russell, if I, if I can come to you, in, in terms of um, there's, there's um, mention of the, the, the resignation, the reshuffle, the restructure, so on and so forth. In, in your mind, though, Russell, what, what, do you, what do you see as the great resignation at the moment? What's your view on that? I think I mean there's no absolute definition of the great definition. Uh, the great definition. There's no definition of the great resignation. <laughs> there we go. Um, but it's just a almost overwhelming realization that resignations are at an all-time high, and the job market demand is also at an all-time high. And if you look back historically over any trends, any period. Uh, pre-pandemic, during pandemic, whatever, both factors are at all-time highs. And that's really the simple reality of what the situation is. And it's across all jobs, all t- pretty much all territories. It's happening and all synced and happening at the same time. Yeah, because it is interesting, isn't it? Because I think, um, you know, I, I, was, I was reading something from uh, the Harvard Business Review, actually, and they're, they're talking about the fact that they actually don't think that, the, the numbers are significantly higher than we would normally have seen. So there's some there's some pent up resignation, if you like, because people didn't resign during COVID and so on and so forth. Um, and so they're saying that it, it, you know, if you looked at that at a linear level, it, it's pretty pretty standard. It's pretty pretty uh, um, it's pretty linear. Um, but what was what's your your view on that? Do you think that's the case, or do you think do you think there's a bit oh. more to it than than just the fact that we've got this kind of pent up kind of individuals waiting to make a move? I would disagree with that slightly. I mean, who am I to disagree with the Harbour Business Review? But um, <laughs> if you look at ONS data in the UK, currently the number of job vacancies in the UK is about 1.3 million. Um, pre-pandemic, the peak was about 750,000. So your demand is 50% greater than any previous peak. Yeah. Uh, in America, you have something like 10 million job vacancies. And in America, with their Build Back Better program, Biden um, is implementing and so forth, uh, Citibank estimates that alone will create an additional 10 million vacancies. So their job rates, their their vacancies could be 20 million. Pre-pandemic, the peak was something like 6 million. And it's having an obvious knock-on effect. Um, Our unemployment in the UK is dropping. It's about 4.2% now. I think there's 1.4 million unemployed in the UK. 1.3 1.3 million jobs. There's a yeah, it, that's conversation. An, yeah, that's an interesting number, isn't it? 
I mean, yeah. my, the, the balance there is incredible. That's kind of, I think that's really kind of swung the, the position of, of, of candidates in the market, isn't it? There's no, no doubt about that. Well, and that has an interesting, and that's a good point, because it has an interesting knock-on, because with the greatest of respect to all of this, and, you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics, you're more than likely not trying to hire someone who is currently unemployed because um, they either potentially live in the wrong place or don't have the skills for brevity and simplicity for the problem. So you're trying to hire someone who's in a job and that therefore that mindset has implications. And that's true across the world. France, lowest, lowest youth unemployment for 15 years. Australia, the lowest unemployment for 13 years. Germany's unemployment, 2.9%. Um, Singapore's lowest for decades, 2.9% and so, and so on. So it's, it's a worldwide trend. Yeah, absolutely. And do, do you, um, do, there's no doubt that it's, it, we're seeing it across the sector. Do you think the, the, the drivers are the same? I, I know you've touched there in terms of the, the, the demand and clearly we're seeing that there's a, you know, that a, a massive influx in terms of open vacancies and so on. But you know, if you if you look at the states, for example, they talk about um, you know number of individuals who perhaps have taken early retirement and that kind of things. Do you think is there is there much differential across the different regions in that respect, or do you think it's the the main reasons are largely the same? What's your, your take on that, Russell? There are various socio-economic forces playing out, and of course, they will have a different impact at different territories. Uh, globally, but certainly, as, as you alluded to, you're seeing baby boomers retire and go into retirement a lot earlier post-pandemic or during pandemic and post than before. Booming stock markets, booming house prices, the ability to retire a couple of years earlier has been there. And also the segment that's most negatively impacted by COVID, greater risk of um, illness and so forth, so that they've gone you're also well publicized and for brevity, um, certainly the US and the UK have broadly taken an anti-immigration turn. Uh, and so that supply element has been, those taps have been turned off. You're also seeing men um, leave the workforce. So if you look at the working age participation between you know, 18 and 65 for, for, for males, that's slowly declining and continuing that trend post pandemic. And women coming into the workforce, which has always offset that, that's a trend that has broadly been um, used up. I mean, it's not all fully gone, but those supply elements, those four things coming in in terms of where we can help with this offset demand are all played out or aren't going to change much ongoing. Yeah. So it is demand driven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, th I think um, one of the things I, I was going to mention, actually, we, we, um, we, we do a survey out to around about a thousand uh, C-suite talent acquisition specialists so kind of twice a year. And we've just released the, the most recent one, uh, most recent report, which is our total trend, our trend report, which we will share with everybody who's on this, this call later. But it's interesting. So I think, yeah, that's certainly the the feedback that we were getting from those individuals certainly echoes what you're saying there, Russ. I think we, we had around about 50% of people, which I, I thought would be slightly higher than that, actually, but around 50% of the people we, we spoke to were certainly seeing this as one of their kind of key priorities this year in terms of being able to both attract and retain the talent that they've currently got in the, in the marketplace. But So they're, they're definitely feeling it. There's no question that it's, it's impacting on the ground.
Russell, to what extent do you think this increase of job demand is linked to the young generation? Or do you think it is due to the increase of freelancers? It's an interesting question. Um, and I think it almost leads on to, you know, I don't think it's a great resignation at all. I think, or I suggest to you, it's a great migration. I think COVID accelerated an awful lot of things, not only in terms of how companies with IT, technology, digitalization, um, buying things over the web, logistics, warehouses, all of that business side of things. But I think it impacted us personally. And I think it made us individually consider what we think to be important. Um, it takes 21 days for a habit to form and it takes 60 days for that habit to become autonomous, an instinctive reaction. For two years, <laughs> we've been living in a certain way. And I think COVID and the implications of that have caused us to challenge why. Why do I bother? Why do I put up with this? Why do I commute? Do I need a big house? Do I want to live in the country? Do I want to see my friends and family? So just why? And I think on that, you can see that in um, the stats. So McKinsey data just a month or so ago said 38% you know, of em employers believe this resignation is due to pay. It's, it's, it's simple. Pay them more, we'll all be okay. But over half of employees say it's because I don't feel valued. Yeah. I don't feel respected. 51% say they have no sense of belonging. Uh, I've got no sense of purpose. And, you know, what's the point in all of this? So it's a slightly roundabout answer to the question, Ingrid, but I think it is much more, it's not pay. Pay is absolutely, let me rephrase. <laughs> pay is absolutely part of the question. Who, who doesn't want a pay rise? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it's far, far more than that. Yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting point, actually, because if you if you if I think about the, the clients that we're talking to at the moment, you know, without fail, the vast majority of them are talking about creating purpose within their organisation, looking at how they can express their culture better to potential employ potential candidates and and their current employees. And I think, you know, for me, that um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Russell. I think you know people spent the last 18 months, two years, sat, sat in their homes, managing themselves, kind of enjoying this degree of flexibility. And I think, you know, for, for employers to think that they can address that issue by just saying, it's fine, you can work from home now. I think that's, that's a bit naive. It's, it's much more than that now. I think people expect to um, be able to uh, have, have a level of trust to kind of manage their own time, manage their own outputs far more than they've ever done before. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting question. But um, I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's more to come on that, I think, there, Russell, don't you? <laughs> I think for white-collar workers, broadly, <laughs> changing a job is as simple as changing an email address. Because this is my office, and for whoever of you I work for, this is my office. <laughs> so, so it's it's more than than that. And I think that's that's the challenge. That's the real that's the nub of the problem.
Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. It's much easier, isn't it? I think for someone just to, to even just to practical things like to go for an interview these days, it's much easier to do that because you can do it remotely and so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, no, I think that that's uh, that's definitely the case. So, so Russell, what, what are you seeing? I, I'm clearly clearly it's an issue. I think the poll was was 75 percent of you guys obviously are feeling the, the pain of it at the moment. What Russell, what, what are you seeing organisations do in terms of trying to counter this at the moment? Because it, it is the you know there's not there's not one issue driving it, so there's not one silver bullet to kind of solve the problem. But what, what are you seeing across the piece at the moment? I think um, I mean we've touched on one of them already. I mean pay absolutely is part of the solution if you if you want to call it that and i think um pay is part of the solution i think what's interesting on pay is a couple of things one it tends to just level the playing field so with a uk perspective hat on um you're seeing at one end of the pay scale pret recently put their uh, hourly rate up to 10 pounds an hour following fast on the heels of Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Itsu, Costa, Aldi, etc. So it's the tide has risen and now the entry level is £10 an hour. Yep. At the top end of the pay scale, uh, a starting lawyer, £150,000 a year. You know, that, that's, the, that's the benchmark there. I think pays binary. I think it's um, hygiene factor. I think people have their own intrinsic value that they believe they're worth and a job either fits with that or it doesn't. Um, pay is part of the solution, but I think if you focus on pay, you are making work a transaction. How much is my time worth for you? I'll give you 40 hours, how much? And I think due to the earlier conversation, I think people increasingly want an interaction. Yeah. They want more from work than just pay. I think, I think the, the pay things... An interesting one's next. I think we, I think everybody on this call will have experienced people leaving and had a significant uplift on their on their their pay as they step into a new role. Um, I, I'd question the sustainability of that. I think you know at some point that's that's going to that's going to bounce back a little bit. But I'd say what we're we're beginning to see now that we don't have any numbers on this yet, but certainly anecdotally we're we're seeing people who made a move perhaps in the last six months. Are already starting to make a move again and I think that that's fairly telling in terms of that short-term effect of, of that bump in salary it doesn't you know it, it's it's great to have a bit more money in your, your pocket for a little while but it doesn't actually solve your your you're in a desire to 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 do some meaningful work does it which elements people are actually looking for now to get the work-life balance and what could solve this great resignation in companies and I think you can I mean, pay is one element or compensation and I think there's there's other elements and I think Joanna you, you, you've hinted at these um, I think people want community so a sense of belonging uh, a sense that they're in it together there's a team uh, and we've known for 30 years Gallup's uh, Q12 uh, on the 12 questions to ask if you have to see whether you have an engaged workforce one of them was do you have a best friend at work and at the time, 30 years ago, when Gallup launched that, business was like, you know, what's that about? We're not here, we're not here for friends, we're here to make money. It's capitalism and shareholder value and all of this. And actually, all the data shows that's now the most important question. And if you have a best friend at work, you are more likely to be engaged, you're more productive, et cetera. You know, 
great teams are not acquaintances who stumble across each other for eight hours a day. They're people who trust each other, rely on each other, come together, believe the same, and so on and so on and so forth. And it's interesting in that context, if you've seen the British Army adverts recently, pictures of the recruits or the squad is or whatever, and this is belonging because it's trust and you're basically trusting each other with lives and, and so on and so forth. But that community, um, pre-pandemic, I think it was 18, 2018, in America, 51% of LGBTQ plus employees were closeted at work, which is horrendous. Hiding, therefore, hiding part of themselves. And just that mental energy and what they're having to hide and just conversations. What, you know, what do you do at the weekend? My wife and I, my partner and I, just the language you use and the things you hide just by that behind that stat detracts from what you do. And all the data also shows that if you're not part of a minority, you completely underestimate the impact of being part of a minority. Yeah. Yeah. And I think belonging community is the way you solve diversity. You don't start with D and move to I, you start with the belonging and move to I and then get diversity as an outcome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I completely agree with you. I think um, yeah, having a, an effective diversity and inclusion policy is now, yeah, that um, people expect that now when they're, they're, they're joining an organisation. It's kind of, it's table stakes to a degree, isn't it? But I think one of the, one of the really interesting stats was um, from the report we did was that that was recognised by most um, most of the individuals that we we spoke to. I think it was about seventy five percent of them recognised that it was important to have that that um, uh, kind of um, DNI strategy. But I, only about twenty nine percent of them felt that they were executing on it. Actually, so they 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 they, they realised the importance of it, but they haven't got the time to execute on it. And I think you know certainly. I, I recognise this thing last year. Everybody was so busy just trying to keep up with the demand that, that everybody's role became really tactical and that the, the strategy piece and the development piece kind of um, kind of stalled, I think, for, for 12 months. And I think you know, we're seeing some of that impact now, I would say. What, um, what's your, your view? I mean, clearly we've kind of touched on the, the hybrid working piece, um, Russell, what, what's your, your take on that? Do you think that that's now kind of uh, a given that's got to happen or as part of, a, you know, an attractive role for people now? What's your thought? I think um, flexible working, hybrid working, I think people pretty much almost think that's now a table stake. Yeah. Um, and I think you've got an interesting dichotomy between the, those that can, white collar, broadly and simplistically, and those that cannot, blue collar, again, broadly and simplistically. And I think you've got a big challenge of how you make that work and how you don't appear to have one rule for one and one rule for everyone else. So I think there's some interesting things around how companies can structure work and the workplace in order to attract different cohorts of workers for the work that you need done. Um, and I think there was an interesting article in The Economist uh, a week or so ago about hybrid working and how do you allow it and how you enable it. And I think the challenge with the whole problem, and I mean, this is a conversation that's, that we could spend the rest of the day on probably, and still with, you know, with eight of us on the call, we could end up with nine opinions quite quickly, I suspect. But um, there was a, the companies almost run the risk of 
trying to be hybrid, trying to be in the office and actually not, not satisfying either party. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the a big issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it again? I, th I think um, I think I probably mentioned to you, this to you when we, we spoke before. But I, I was uh, I was talking to somebody at LinkedIn, and they were saying that uh, if they look at the kind of pre-COVID, I think they, the the stat they had was one in sixty-seven roles that they ha had advertised on their platform mentioned about remote working. Now it's one in six, yeah. So you know, if you're not offering remote, then you're kind of you're 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 cutting yourself out from quite a big part of that that talent pool. I think they, they the other thing that they were saying was that they see 250% more applications for any role that mentions remote. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's definitely become table stakes these days. But I think it's more, you know, I mentioned this a moment ago, I think it's more than just allowing people to work from home, isn't it? It's, it's giving them real flexibility in terms of the way that they get their work done and, and giving them a, a much kind of feeling of, much more feeling of, of, of trust and responsibility responsibility for, for managing their own time, actually. I always remember I, um, I was doing a conference in Ireland and the gentleman who followed me was European head of L&D for um, Facebook. Yeah. What I always find interesting is because we're starting to get onto culture, if you like now, and, you know, another C if you want. Um, and I think too many organisations don't actually know what their culture is, can't define it, can't bottle it, um, or try and be everything to everybody um, and therefore end up being veneer to everyone and not really satisfying everyone. And that may be, you, you've both, uh, Joanna and David, you've mentioned people joining and then already leaving the second job offers, job hoppers post-pandemic. You know, it's very easy to offer, but what's the reality on the ground and how do you prove that? How do you, you, you can't tell me you're an employer of choice because frankly, who isn't nowadays? <laughs> yeah. anyone not an employer of choice put your hands up if you're not an employee etc you know, everyone's an employer of choice so you can't tell me you have to show me why I should think you're an employer of choice what do you do how do you treat your people um, in order for that I go hmm that's interesting I quite like that and, and actually I think here it's companies almost need to be more specific and detailed because what you want to do, and Joanna, you hinted at this in this interview process, you, you're taking them to lunch and they still say no. You know, what's that? What more do you want? Kind of thing. And it's, it's almost um, define what you are. Be really clear and define what you're not because you want people to read the definitions and go either that's interesting I'd like to know more because yeah. it resonates with me. Or you want people to go, ah, that's horrible. Run away for the hills. Great, because they won't fit. <laughs> Great, brilliant. I've just saved myself a lunch bill. You know, it's, <laughs> and, it's and, and being clear on what that is. And, and I think culture is really interesting because there's no good or bad cultures. They are. I personally and individually, we may be drawn to some and be repelled by others. Good. <laughs> That's the point, because you won't fit. <laughs> and, 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 and this, this is why I think trying to be everything to everyone just doesn't work and it just doesn't play out. 
And I think it's, it's everyone gets latched, everyone, sorry, broad brush. Um, people get latched onto the, you know, look at Netflix and what they do, you know, treat the money like it's your own and spend whatever you want. Unlimited holidays, fine. What people fail to realise is what sits behind those and what has in what the organisation has put in place in order to enable them to have that as their approach. And so sorry, going back to that story of L&D, head of L&D, Facebook Europe, followed on stage and during his interview, he said, I want to work flexibly. This was 2018 or whatever. And Facebook, like, what do you mean work flexibly? I want to work from home. I've just got a new daughter. We don't care where you work. We don't care. You were paid to do a job. You were paid based on outcomes. Believe you me, if you don't deliver, we will find you and we will fire you. <laughs> so there is cause and effect. You don't have unlimited expense policies or treat it like your own money without having the, believe you me, we'll pay it, but we will check it. And if we find anything dodgy on there, we know where you live. <laughs> so, so Russell, you, you've touched on a couple of the C's. Now, I, I think when we spoke, you've got six C's that you, you think are, are, are important in terms of kind of helping to, to counter some of this. Do you want to talk us through, through the other C's that you have? You're going to ask me what they all are, aren't you? <laughs> so I think we've done compensation, uh, culture, we've touched on community. I think cause is really interesting. Um, employees really hopefully know what they're doing. Um, hopefully that's done. But do they know why? Why are they doing it? What is the point of the task? Um, because philosophically, we've known for eons that it's not the hardness of a job the stress of the job the, the, the actually what you're doing that is difficult it's whether it makes sense to us it's the purpose of the job uh, you know zeus condemns sisyphus to an unending few eons of futility of pushing a boulder up a hill if you look at dostoevsky in his um autobiography prison life in serbia um, that's the subtitle. Um, it's not the hardness of the task that destroyed the people. It was the complete and utter futility of it. The, the complete, what on earth am I doing? And any of us who are parents know from an early age, the one question we dread, fear, but always have to face into is why? Why? Yeah. Why? So, so, so we kind of know it but we don't always apply it. Do we spend as much time saying to people why what they're doing is important in the greater scheme of things as we do in telling them what we want them to do? And all the data shows, and you look at Adam Grant, um, his book, uh, Give and Take, has got great examples in it, that if you can link what you're doing to the end customer, if possible, that adds massive, massive value even go short term so what disney are very good at doing is hotel cleaners one of the biggest bugbears is getting a remote control stuck in the laundry as you can imagine they come in strip the beds remote controls gets caught in the laundry gets chucked in the washing machine and you can tend to trash the washing machine so they take the laundry people and go this is what happens please don't do this it destroys the washing machines and then they'll take the people who do the ironing, they'll take them to around the hotel and go, if there's a sheet you're ironing that's of not Disney quality, 
and you just go, ah, it's the last corner. I've just done a whole double sheet. I, I just, no one will notice. Stick on the pile. They show them what the impact of that is on the cleaners. So show the impact of the transit transitions. So like the dominoes falling, we want you to do this because, and show them what the impact of that is. And it's like, you know, we always do the reports on a Friday because we've always been asked to do it. Does anyone read them? Has anyone asked? And instead of emailing someone and going, could I, why not have a conversation? Because you're going to them because they're the expert. This is, and go to them and say, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. Because that person might have a different way of doing it. They might have access to information, knowledge, insight that you couldn't even believe. But if we're prescriptive, we've defined their own outcome and answer to them. So I think in this is cause, it's meaning, it's purpose, it's collaboration, it's productivity. Um, with one customer I was with, um, I was with one of the execs and he, I had this conversation with him at length and he came back to me a week later and said, Russ, I hate you. I've just looked at everything I do on a day-to-day -day basis and I've stripped everything out because I've realized it was just either other people should be doing it or there was no point in me doing it. And it's a really, again, a lengthier conversation. It was a really interesting discussion to have. Explain why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what's, um, I mean, from, from, a, from a practical perspective, Russell, what, what, are you, what are you seeing people doing here? Because clearly in these kinds of periods of when there is this kind of intense change, which there is at the moment, that, that always creates um, some opportunity, doesn't it? And so on and so forth. Where have you seen organisations, I guess, leveraging that opportunity to, to, to the best of their ability? And what, what, what is it that they're kind of practically doing and, and applying that's making a difference for them? I think it's, um, your, to one of your points in there, your first one, I think that it was Deloitte's person at Deloitte who came out with this. He said, businesses, there is an opportunity, absolutely. And businesses that get this right, this, uh, the, the, this challenge right, will become talent magnets. Yeah. Because they will naturally attract the talent they need to grow and develop because they'll be having a community, offering meaning, growing people, careers, pay, and, and all of those things. And people will naturally want to be there. Companies that don't will slowly but surely hemorrhage staff. And it will be a death of a thousand cuts. And you'll create virtuous circles at one end, therefore, upwards, and virtual declines at the other end. And Burson called these irresistible organizations, and he suggested that only 15% of businesses would make it. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, if you've ever done any team building stuff, he literally wrote the book, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, he believed a similar thing in terms of thinking 15% or so will make it. So I think the opportunity, and it would be, of those six C's, the levers you pull will be different in different organizations based on where you are, what, what your challenges are, and, and so on. But for businesses that get it right, you have the opportunity to naturally start to hopefully attract that talent that you need. Um, and it's, it's a way of actually taking a step back and challenging on how you do things and maybe why you do them in a certain way and the kinds of people you need in order to be successful going forward. Um, one of the things in terms of one of these companies, you know, in, in terms of structuring work, why do we structure work in that way? The NHS found that the nurse, nurses on shifts 
prefer to do four 12-hour shifts rather than six eight-hour shifts because it's, it's easier to solve four lots of childcare than it is to solve six. Um, and so they restructured the work. You know, a, a crass simplistic one is do, if you've got shift work, does that tie in with local transport links? You know, one classic is always the bus turns up and either people are always 10 minutes late or 50 minutes early. You know, it's how do you make it easy for the people to work for you? What can you give different cohorts? Um, Childcare is yeah. you know, certainly in the UK, the big one that goes on. Um, can you offer some element of childcare or support or help in order to help bring parents and women especially, because that they've been disadvantaged in COVID because of the pandemic and so on and so on and so forth, to help them back in. You know, SAS, the software company, are, are, are poster boys for this because they have their own crash on site. But what, what can you do? What can you offer people that's valuable to staff, but actually might not cost you quite as much as it looks like? You know, a decent meal at lunchtime. If we're coming into a crisis of living costs versus salaries, what can you offer your staff that is valuable to them, but doesn't necessarily cost you, you know, the headline number? Decent meal at lunchtime so they can save money, therefore feed children in the evening. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been interesting. You've you, you reminded me of, of uh, um, some, some of the things we're seeing. And again, this, this is in the States, but one of the organisations that we work with, they're now as part of the, the, the financial package that they're offering to people. They're offering to pay for um, kind of domestic help, yeah. So for, for cleaners or for for childcare and so on and so forth, because they know that that, that that's is a way of differentiating themselves. But it's also it helps to fix a problem for their for their um, candidates that are coming through the door. Actually, so it's quite interesting. I think we're definitely seeing people being a bit more imaginative about it as well. Which, which kind of also reminds me, what's your, what's your kind of take on the, the reskilling piece? Because there's a lot of conversation around, you know, if you, if you want to uh, retain your, your current staff, you need to invest in them, help them to reskill, um, make sure that they, their, their skills are, are fit for the future and so on and so forth. How much do you see that happening? Because again, there's a lot of rhetoric around it, but uh, in terms of the actual kind of practicality, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that that, that that happens an awful lot, but interested to see what you think. You've lobbed that one up. <laughs> Allow me to have a have a swipe. Um, I think reskilling, another C, career, um, is really, really important. And I think certainly, uh, Ingrid, you mentioned younger generations. It certainly used to be the case that one of the number one thing that millennials, Gen Z looks for is what am I going to learn? And now you could say that's self-serving. What are you going to give me? How are you going to train me? But I think actually it's career protection. I think it's a case of, I'd love to work for you, really, really do, but I want to make sure I'm going to be employable going forward. So actually, what am I going to learn? And if you look at um, Pink, um, is it David Pink? Uh, I can't, he, uh, he wrote, he's the, one of the most famous TED Talks of all time, one of the most watched ones, Autonomy, Mastery, Purpose. So who are your masters? And if I join you, who will I learn from? You know, you've got all these great people in the organization. Who will I learn from? You know, what's the equivalent in your business of the middle-aged, the apprentice learning at the knee of the master? Tell me, who will I learn from? What will I learn if I join you? So there's a whole conversation there. 
you, you also looked up the how much is it used um for shortness not very much nowhere near as much as it should i think deloitte again said only 11 percent of organizations have a formal career development program if you look in the uk context the apprenticeship levy um has been around for two three years now um i think the government did a lot of very very good things the apprenticeship levy you can get an mba from cranfield you can get you know specific courses at lower levels and so forth i think they shouldn't have called it apprenticeship I think that has a connotation for my generation of days of yore. But businesses aren't spending it. The government is shoveling it. You, you, please spend this. You can give it to your supply chain. I mean, your organisations could give it to your suppliers. You can give it to third parties to an extent now. I had one company asking me, we do some work in the charity sector, and they've asked me, could I connect them? Because they're sitting on a massive apprenticeship levy budget and they can't spend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So could you give it to this charity for us? Could you help conduit that, Russell? And the government clawed back two billion of unspent apprenticeship levy between May 19 and March 21. I mean, it's on one level, that's borderline criminal. <laughs> so I think careers absolutely training, development, and you're seeing companies approach it in a different way. There's um, fast food chain in, the, in America. Instead of having one level of burger cooker, there's three levels. So you can you can be a master burger flipper. Kind of so you're, you're seeing um, you know, graduation. If you look at what Walmart are doing, um, they've said that people who stay with them, I think it's for four years, but they will pay tuition fees for college, which in yeah. America is like, and I think um, Walmart is saying, you pay a dollar a day, we'll pay the rest. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and you know, that's, that's, a, that's a huge investment. And I think that's a, you know, that's a stake in the ground, isn't it, actually, I think. Um, so, yeah, and yeah, yeah, I think uh, it, it, show, it really shows their intent in terms of what they're doing and trying to get that, that longevity of relationship. Um, but again, it goes back to that authenticity piece, doesn't it? You know, they're, they're prepared to put their, their money where, where their mouth is to a degree. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, hopefully that's been that's been useful for you. Hopefully we've given you a, a bit of insight. We will, as always, Russell. Really interesting to talk to you. So so thank you very much for that, and uh, thank you everybody for for joining today. Thank you for listening to Randstad SourceRight's Talent Navigator podcast. Learn more about the trends you've heard about today at randstadsourcerite.com. <laughs>